Good morning, Mountain Park. My name is Alan, and uh, it never ceases to amaze me how juvenile sometimes conversations can be on the internet when somebody throws down an article or a blog, and then people participate in that and throw in their opinions. And, and it's just amazing how much people are willing to say ridiculous things when they're hiding behind a pseudoname and they don't have to have an actual conversation about it. We can be so petty and such. Yet how different that all happens when we're talking about a, a world tragedy, when we're talking about people's lives, hundreds, thousands of people uh, with regard to what's happening in Japan. I was just reading and looking into that yesterday, and, and it's so amazing in what is often uh, or sometimes referred to as kind of a post-Christian culture that the comments are all about, we are praying for them, God bless them, God take care of them, if there's any way we can help, da da da, da. And so it's just so, so, so different uh, when there's a tragedy like that that we're dealing with. And so I thought we'd just take a moment this morning. Would you just bow your heads with me as we uh, think and pray about what's happening in Japan? Father, we know that you love people, that you love every soul, every person there as much as you love us. And so, Father, in the midst of this incredible tragedy where hundreds, thousands uh, are affected by, um, by this earthquake. We just want to take a moment of silence this morning and our thoughts go to you about what's happening there. Father, we do ask you to bless them. Take care of them. Bring wisdom to those who are helping. Bring uh, comfort to those who are loving. Bring healing to those who are hurting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is, What Can I Do to Help? And that actually was the plan long before uh, what happened in Japan. And so I was uh, trying to look into ways that we could funnel or help or whatever. And at this point, there actually isn't any plan for us. Uh, our church is part of an organization called the Church of God. And uh, the Church of God has 10 missionary families in Japan. Uh, learned yesterday that none of those families were injured or, or hurt with the earthquake. Uh, but as far as whether there's some particular channel that we want to send some funds to or whatever, we don't know at this time. So you can go ahead and support in whatever way you, you feel you want to trust. If something does come up, we'll let you know on the website or let you know on a weekend in terms of how we might be able to help. But the reason that this message this morning is... Uh, what can I do to help is that we're talking about servanthood. We're talking about this, this value of learning how to serve others. When I use the phrase customer service, what comes to mind for you? I mean, are, are there any particular stories, particularly horrific stories that might come to mind, funny stories or whatever? What comes to mind when you think of of customer service. A couple weeks ago, I watched a classic movie with my kids, Back to the Future, and hadn't seen it in quite some time, and it's so interesting to have our kids then, now at an age where they can understand time travel a little bit, although it was kind of blowing their minds. But, but uh, it's so interesting. This movie came out in 1985, and the whole premise of the movie is that, is that uh, Marty McFly goes back 30 years, and what was a little mind-boggling for me was to realize that this movie is almost 30 years old. 
In a few years, it'll be 30 years old. And so they go back as far as the movie is from where we are right now. And, I, and my head starts to spin a little bit. But anyway, uh, it, you might recall in the movie, Marty McFly goes back to 1955, and he's in his old neighborhood, and he looks over, and a car pulls up into a gas station. And there are five or six uh, uniformed men who come out in hats and come out and wash and take care of the car. And Marty's kind of going, what's that all about? And, and even, even in the late 80s when I worked at a gas station, when you pulled up, there were, two cho- there were two choices. You either go to the self-serve or the full-serve. And I worked as one of those guys in those uniforms. We didn't have five of us. Just one would go out and wash the windshield or whatever and hope for a dollar tip. And, and, and I did that. Now, things have changed so much now. Now you go to the gas station and... And you're lucky if the printer machine actually has paper uh, after you've done it for yourself. And so then it, it doesn't have paper uh, 54% of the time. And so then you walk in and you stand in line and you wait for somebody to buy a candy bar and then a chocolate and then, uh, and then a, uh, a drink. And then it's finally your turn and you say, yeah, it, number five uh, pump, uh, I need a receipt, please. And they say, yeah, just so you know, the, paper's not, the printer's not working over there in pump number five. And then the person behind the counter is going... Yeah, I'll get right on that. Yeah. I mean, customer service has changed significantly. So what comes to mind when you think of customer service? Maybe you think of the so intimately helpful automated telephone machines uh, that they have. Where, see, I get grown. See, we're, we're together on this, people. We're a community on this. Can we fight against those stupid things? I hate them. I get on my voice. My, my wife recognizes my my automated telephone voice that I have. It's the only place where I use this voice because what happens is she can hear me. She starts giggling when she knows that she hears this voice and I'm on the phone and I say, I say, um, you know, parts department. Yes. No. And you know, you're trying to, and, and it's kind of this weird, weird combination of, art, of over-articulating and being ticked off. So it's like articulating is, is kind of what I do when, when I'm on the phone. And it's the only time I use that voice, and, and, and uh, it's just, just, just customer service is just not kind of where it could be, you know, and sometimes. And so what do you think of when you think of customer service? In this series uh, here this year, we're looking at different characters in the Bible, and we're looking at character traits that these characters can surface for us. And today we're looking at the book of Isaiah. We're looking at the prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah, and his name actually means servant of God. His name means, I am in your service, God. And we have much to learn in terms of servanthood by looking at the story of Isaiah. I invite you, if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. It's where we're going to spend our time. It's about in the middle of your Bible. If you find the book of Psalms, which is pretty easy to find, go to the right a little bit and you'll find Isaiah. If you were with us last year when we walked through the whole shebang story, or maybe you're just familiar with this outside of of our journey here, the exile is the name of this section and the exile is a hugely significant part of the Old Testament story. It doesn't get as much press. We don't know that story as much as a lot of the other stories from the Old Testament. But it is a hugely significant part of understanding our Old Testament. The exile is the time where the Jewish people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, when they got kicked out of their own land. 
The Exodus story is what we've been looking at uh, in the beginning of the year. The Exodus story is the development of the people of God into their area, into the promised land. And they became large and they had a king. And, and then the exile is when they actually got kicked out of their own city. The Babylonians came in and exiled them, kicked them out of their own land. And they just couldn't believe, the Jews just couldn't believe that that would ever happen to them. Huge, 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 huge deal. And the prophets that we find in the Old Testament, most of them are either writing prior to the exile, talking about it, writing during the exile, or writing after it. That the, Understanding the prophets means understanding where they fit in terms of the exile story. And if you were with us last year, you might remember uh, me talking about Isaiah as being a Someone who was both a part of the pre-exile story and the exile story. He talked prior to the exile happened, as well as when it happened. That the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, are this increasing warnings that he was giving. Warning, this is going to happen to you. They are going to come and they're going to take your own city. Warning, warning, warning. And it, it became louder and louder. Warning, warning, warning. Until the very end of chapter 39 is where the exile happens. And then chapter 40 begins with a word. Does anyone remember what word begins chapter 40? I heard it. Comfort. Chapter 40 begins by saying, comfort my people. That chapters 1 through 39 are warning, 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 warning. Comfort. That that's the way God shapes our character. That he says, warning, don't do that. Please don't do that. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I want to give you indications from Scripture, from people who care about you. That is not the path that I have for you. Warning, warning, please don't do that. Warning, warning. And then when we cross that line and we make those mistakes, his love as our Father brings us comfort. That's a beautiful thing. Isaiah has two sons, and at the beginning of chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, but at the beginning of chapter 7, there's one of his sons is named Shir Jashub, which means remnant, the remnant shall return. Chapter 8, we're introduced to his second son named Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, which means swift is the booty. Literally, that's what it means, which I think could have been my name. Swift is the booty. Okay, that's not exactly what was meant by that. But both of these names make it very clear. This is what he named his kids, that Isaiah was part of the exile story. I'm sorry if we offended you. That wasn't, okay. Uh, that exile, that Isaiah was part of the exile story. He's named his kids, the remnant shall return. That's talking about the exile. And swift is the booty. That's talking about the, the plunder that was taken as, as a part of the exile. He named his kids part of the exile story. Isaiah is very much intricately connected with the exile story. In chapter 6, just backing up one more chapter there. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, he has an encounter with God. And this is kind of his launch into ministry. And uh, he is he is humbled by being in the presence of a perfect and holy God. And we read in chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah understands who he is in the presence of God. And then jump to verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? It says us, which is a hint of the Trinity. It's beautiful. And I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah stands before God, 
ruined and just humbled being in the presence of God and says, I am your servant, God. Here am I, send me. I don't even know what it is you're calling me to. I don't know how dangerous it is. I don't know how risky it is. I don't know what my chances of success are. But I trust you. Here am I, send me. And that's the posture that God is wanting for us. That is the servanthood posture that God is wanting for us. That we would say, God, I, I love you. And the way I'm displaying my love is by serving you. It's the way we display our love to one another is we serve one another. Love God, love others. Serve God, serve others. Servanthood is a powerful, powerful way to show that we love other, other people. There's a movie that came out a few years back called Peaceful Warrior. I think it was called Peaceful? Peaceful Warrior. The one about the gymnast. Uh, it's kind of a karate kid movie where you've got a young boy and a, and a guru who teaches him. I think it was called Peaceful Warrior, right? Anybody? Yeah, thank you. Because uh, yeah, I was going to get stuck there for a while. We, you know, I was derailed there. But, but, so it's called Peaceful Warrior. Again, it was like a karate kid thing. And, and just like all of those kinds of movies, the young, uh, arrogant boy... Uh, kind of gets frustrated with his guru. And at one point, um, his, guru, his guru worked at a gas station. And at one point, he says to Nick Nolte, who's playing the guru, he says, why am I listening to you? Why should I pay any attention to you? You work at a gas station. And Nick Nolte's character says, no, this isn't a gas station. It's a service station. We serve people. There's no greater calling in life than the service towards others. Huh? I mean, it's, just, it's just this great... Great, great moment here. Servanthood is a huge, huge way that we can communicate love for other people. It's a powerful tool. Some kind of naturally go there, some don't. It's kind of the difference between dogs and cats. When you come home, it is, the, it is a dog who is excited about you and wagging her tail and excited you're there. When you come home, a cat says, good, the help has arrived. A dog has a master, a cat has a staff, that, that a dog looks at you and says, you're the one who picks up uh, my poop and cleans all this, so it's, you must be my master. And a cat looks at, you're the one who cleans up my poop, I must be your master, there's more over there, would you take care of it? And so, I mean, there's, there's, sometimes I think God looks at us, as his, at his people, at this world, that we're just like a world, a herd of cats is what we are. We're just kind of all kind of... You know, doing a, we're just kind of this, this herd of cats, and, and, and God wants something so much more for us than that. One of the, the little evidence of us being a herd of cats was a few years back, there was this couple that went on a mission trip to, to Mexico through our church. And this is a weekend mission trip, and it, uh, um, so far, I'm, I'm not sure if this couple is still at our church. I don't think they were in the first service. If they are still in our church, it could be an uncomfortable next few moments for this couple. But, but uh, they went on this trip. It cost $65 to go on this trip. $65 bucks for transportation, food, lodging, everything. $65, bucks, that's it for you to go leave on Friday after work and come back on Sunday and, and serve the people in Rocky Point. And so this couple went on it. It was their first mission trip. And, and the wife was really struggling with the accommodations, that the beds were so not comfortable for her. She was really struggling with that. And, and the air conditioning went out. And so it was miserable. It was so hot. And, and so uh, they, this couple said, forget this. They went over and went to a resort 
and stayed the two nights in a resort. It cost them $385. Then they came back, spit venom everywhere, saying this trip was terrible and their bed was uncomfortable. And they demanded that the church pay the $385 back for them. They demanded that the ch- did I say that clearly? That the church pay them the $385 for the trip that they were not comfortable on when they went to serve people in Rocky Point. It's a service mission trip. Sometimes we're just a bunch of cats. Okay, I know we got cat people, we got dog people, but but I mean there's just there's just kind of this um, there's just kind of this thing sometimes we miss. Well, it wasn't missed at a recent trip to Honduras. There was our annual trip that went down there, and uh, I've heard some stories from those who got to go to that trip, and I want to give you an opportunity to hear a little bit too. And uh, Jerry Oliver was on that trip, and so Jerry, wherever you are, if you would come, there you are, uh, if you would come join us. And uh, would you give him a hand as he comes up and shares a little bit? Thanks, Jerry. Would you, uh, uh, I know this was a, a, an impactful trip for yeah. you. Would you kind of paint the picture of what your experience was? Sure. First of all, good morning, Mountain Park. And um, I feel so blessed to be a part of a, of a church that does believe in service and uh, reaching out, uh, especially on the Honduras uh, mission that we were on. Uh, great trip. But let me just back up and just say, um, um, a few months ago, Alan... Uh, gave a lesson that had to do with being a lukewarm Christian and uh, being tippet tippet in your um, service. And since that time, I was looking for a way that I could take my service level to another another level uh, to do more. And I'd heard about these Honduran trips and the missions, and people have gotten up and talked about how much of a difference had it made in their lives and all that. And I, I, you know, I said, well, let me me take a look at that. And so I was uh, very blessed to go. And like so many other people, uh, my life has been changed as a result of it. Um, I was there for seven days. Honduras, uh, as you know or may not know, is one of the poorest countries in Central America. And uh, we we witnessed that poverty. Um, But we also witnessed some other things. We witnessed uh, people who are truly emancipated when it comes to their praise. Uh, They're not chained to affluence like some of us are. They can say, thank you, God, for the things that he had blessed them with, even though they had little mm-hmm. as it relates to us. Mm-hmm. So it was a tremendous trip. We had a great uh, group of people that went down. Um, Greg Battle, of course, was our leader, uh, and we had an opportunity to uh, visit many places. We went to San, uh, San Pedro Sulu, uh, Sula, which is a, uh, the big city, if you want to call it that. And then we went out to the, to, um, the, the colony, which is the 441 homes where um, Jaime Rodriguez uh, the pastor of the church that has been here several times um, was, and that's where we spent most of our time and uh, we gained most of our experiences. You guys got to visit some orphanages, and one of them was a government-run orphanage. And would you kind of paint the picture for us in terms of what you experienced? Uh, we had an opportunity to go to uh, an orphanage. That's, uh, I think it was called Pro Nino. It's a um, uh, lots of kids and and um, of all ages. I guess I was impacted most by the, uh, there are about 20, 25, uh, two, three, four-week-old babies that were uh, there uh, in this orphanage. There were other kids there, too. We had experiences with them. 
But these particularly impacted me because uh, the two or three um, nurses or aides that were there uh, told us that uh, even though these babies were cared for, uh, fed, uh, their diapers were changed and that kind of thing, that they were not thriving. And the reason why they weren't thriving is because there was no one there to hold them. That uh, new babies need to be held. Uh, they need to be touched. People have to love on them and love them. Uh, and that wasn't happening. And we had an opportunity uh, to do that. Um, and it's, uh, that's one way of giving back. That's one way of serving, uh, just touching other people's lives. Uh, quickly, the other, the other kids, um, one, one, one in particular, but there's probably about three that I wanted to put in my suitcases and bring back with me. I mean, you just can't. Um, uh, little, little people that we bought candy, we, we bought clothes, uh, we took uh, all kinds of games and things like that to give to them. But they, uh, this, this young guy, was searching my face the whole time I was there looking for my eyes to see if I really cared about him. Hmm. And uh, that was really important to me. And I think we developed a little relationship. And as I mentioned to uh, some other people, uh, I really plan to stay in this kid's life if I can uh, through support. Even though we're a long ways away, it's going to be really important for him to know that somebody cares about him and will be supporting him hmm. going forward. Obviously, you were moved <clears throat> very much re so. relationally. And so can you tell us more about what what happened inside you as you, as you saw this? What, ha what happened in your heart? Well, I think, I think we are um, here because of our affluence and because of um, all of the protocols and the, what I call a lot of times the plastic that get in the way in our lives. I do think we miss an opportunity uh, to be emancipated and to uh, express our gratitude to God for what he's given us. But also, as you're talking today about being a better servant, uh, to love God, but really to show that you love others. And I think that's what I came away with, that... Uh, the opportunities uh, start to look more for opportunities to be of, of greater service um, to um, our neighborhood, to our community, but to people wherever. Yeah. So I really appreciate it. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> There's major character development that happens when you go on these trips and you just see a different part of God's kingdom. And I love the picture that Jerry's painting here. He's just saying, I, I go and I see it and I smell it and I touch it and I want to help. What can I do to help? What can I do for these kids? What can I do? And, and so there's this gap that he sees. He says, here's where the kids are. Here's the reality of where they are. The, the babies are different, different stages that these kids need different things. And here's what they need just in terms of basic functioning in life so that they, could, so they can thrive. There's a gap there. Who's going to fill that gap? In what way can I fill that gap? Can I bridge that gap? Let me tell you, that, that is the picture of the whole shebang story. Just kind of step back overall. There's, there's two main characters in the whole shebang story, it's God and it's us. And the whole story is about a restored relationship between a holy, perfect God and very imperfect us, that we are separated. And the whole plan is that that relationship would be bridged, that that relationship would, be, would come together. And so that comes in the form of a person named Jesus who bridges that gap. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus came, he, he spoke about this. He talked about this. He's sometimes referred to as the Old Testament evangelist because he talked about a Messiah 
who would come and be able to bridge that gap between a holy God and an, uh, and, and an imperfect people. He uh, uh, talks about a suffering servant, and I want to read about that in chapter 52 in Isaiah. Mark, as we were uh, worshiping, was reading a part of this section as well. It's just amazing that this was written so, so much prior to the story of Jesus. Chapter 52, verse 13, Isaiah writes, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Jump down to chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He says, we considered him stricken by God. We Jews, followers of God, believe that Jesus suffered what he did on the cross because of what he did, that it was punishment. It was, he was stricken by God. Because he claimed to be God, he was smitten, he was stricken by God. And then Isaiah continues, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In other words, it wasn't because of what he did, it was because of who we are and what we have done. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came as the suffering servant. He came to serve humanity by bridging the gap so that he would take on the punishment so that we can have a reconciled relationship with God. For those of us who are followers of Christ, we often think in terms of character development and spiritual development. We think in terms of, I want to be like Jesus. I read about him. I uh, uh, see how he lived life, and I want to be like Jesus. We have the wristbands. Uh, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? I want to be like Jesus. I sometimes wonder, what part of Jesus do we really want to be like? Do we want to be like the part of Jesus who is this wise, powerful teacher who can speak to many and influence so many? Well, that would be nice. Do we want to be like Jesus in that he was so so, so confident in who he was. He had a mission and a purpose in his life. Do we want to be like Jesus because he could powerfully heal the sick? Do we want to be like Jesus because he was famous? But at his core, Jesus was a servant. Isaiah says he's the suffering servant in the book of Mark. Jesus himself says, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And this is what blew the Jews away. They were expecting a king of all kings. And Jesus says, I'm a servant. I'm a poor son of a carpenter. And the night before he died, he takes a towel and he cleans the feet. He washes the feet of his disciples. He serves them. Jesus comes and says, if you want to be like me, if you want to be like Jesus, then it's our job to serve others. Personally, I think this is the purpose of the whole family unit that God has designed. I th for me personally, I think that 
It, that is the reason for marriage. It's the reason for having kids. It is so that, so that we can, serve, can have somebody to serve. So we can learn that the world does not revolve around Alan. So that we would serve others. It's a powerful uh, opportunity for us to learn this. Now, if you are single and you've learned to serve others without having the, the marital or parenting relationship, wow. That really is amazing. To be single and to figure that out and to be able to do that and serve others in a way that is honoring to God, you're in good company of people like Mother Teresa and Jesus of Nazareth. But for those of you who are married, it is your responsibility to serve your spouse. That's your job to serve your spouse. I've mentioned this before, that that one of the most powerful questions I can ask my wife when I come home is, what can I do to help? That's the title of the message. It, it, It is just such, I can just see the stress be, re- be released from my wife when I ask that question. She's either cooking for something or cleaning or preparing or trying to organize for something with the kids or whatever. What can I do to help? Boom. That's the question she needs to know that her husband is there to serve. And that's very different than the question, would you like some help? Would you like some help is a yes-no question. And basically what we mean when we say, would you like some help is, please say no, but I want full credit for having asked. That's what that means. Because what we say is, would you like some help? (laughs) And and that's not the question. I'm saying, what can I do to help? In other words, I'm assuming I'm helping. I've already set aside what I wanted to do when I came home. I've set aside my own thing. I'm here to serve. What can I do to help? Just redirect me, point me, whatever. What's the deal? This is the the human... uh, uh, condition that we, that we struggle with serving others, that we just tend towards selfishness. Isaiah understood this. It turns me to uh, chapter 58. He compares two different ways of interacting with God. One is selfish, and the other is through serving. So here, chapter 58, verse 2. He says, for day after, this is God speaking, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you Please, and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. In other words, you are serving. When you serve others, it's all about you. Even in your service to others and praying and fasting and thinking about others, it's still all about you. And then that's in contrast to... uh, Verse 6, here still in chapter 58, is not this kind of fasting 
what I've chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. We have two things contrasted here. That The first few verses I read, that what we have there is that which offends God. And then the second is that which makes God proud of us, makes our Father in heaven proud of us. The first one is rooted in selfishness. The second is rooted in servanthood. And which one are we? How are we interacting with God? How are we loving God and loving others? Which one do we kind of lean towards? The, the litmus test for this is that when you experience something in life, there's a need, there's an opportunity, there's a choice you're trying to make, what is your first thought? Is your first thought, how will this affect me? Or is your first thought, how will this affect others? Just think. Just think about whatever you're trying to make a decision on right now. What's your first thought? How will this affect me? Or how will this affect others? Are we going to invite them over for dinner? Should I do that coaching uh, thing that I've been asked to do? Should I take this new job? Which, which are you leaning toward? What's your, first, what's your first thought with this? And and, and Jesus comes at, as, as, a, as a model in saying that he, he models for us his first thought was not about himself. The filter for us is to say, okay, okay uh, how will this have the most impact on others? We can say, based on my time and my finances and all that, I can make a decision and say, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. That's okay. But is that based on what's in the best interest of those who are around us? That the posture God wants for us is to say, I will help, I will bridge the gap, I will do what I can, regardless of the benefit to me. That's what servanthood is. So here's the, here's the question just for us today. Are you serving anywhere? Are you serving people in some way in your life? Have you found a way to make that be a part of your journey? If you're new with us or just visiting, then just today, just know that that's, that's a value for us as, as a church. We have what we call our seven so now what's, which is, okay, I'm, I'm following God, so now what? What happens next? And their, their A through G and letter G is get in the game. Get involved. Do something. If you're new, just know that's a value for us. If you have been here for a while, this is your home church, and you love to experience the presence and the power of God through here, and you love to learn more about his about his whole shebang overall story of humanity. Fantastic. But if that's where you are and you think that's all spiritual formation is, then you're missing out. Because Christ has modeled the necessity for us to be serving others. For spiritual, part of our spiritual formation is to identify an area where we have been designed to jump in and be part of it. Lawrence Brown is the newest member on the board here. He just came on this year, and last week we did a, a retreat with the board for an eight-hour chunk of time on a Friday afternoon. And it was a fair, you know, time where we were getting to know one another and just talking about the next, uh, next year for our church and, and praying with each other. And at the end of it, Lawrence, who's a lawyer, 
And, and at the end, he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been in plenty of long meetings, but what we did today, this means something. What we're talking about here, this, is, this has eternal consequences to it. And he said it with a smile on his face. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve here as the, as the pastor. And what I simply want to do for those of you who call this home, I want to invite you to join the team. I want to invite you to identify an area where you can serve. It's not just limited to what you see, whether it's singing or being an usher. There's so many different ways that your church, your community, needs your service. That's the way God has designed you. So just kind of practically, if you're interested in this, if you want to follow up on this, the website is mountainpark.org. That's our website. And right in the middle of our homepage, it says Volunteer Central. You can click on that, and you can open up a whole exploration of different ways that you can, get, that you can uh, enter into service here as a part of your church. That's just an option for you. If you don't like that whole clicking thing, if that kind of feels like an automated telephone system for you, then feel free to just come and talk with one of us. We'd love to help you out with this deal. I invite you to be a part of the team so you can stir this part of your spiritual development up. All right. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, what a, what a great army you have assembled here at this church. That There's so many different gifts and skills that you've brought together here. People who think financially, think people who are visionaries, people who are detail folks, people who love kids, people who, who don't know yet how you want to use them in service in a mighty way. And Father, I pray that you'd release something here today in the hearts of those who are saying, in, in my spiritual development, I want to take a step forward in terms of serving others. That we would look and, uh, and, and act more like Jesus Christ, who came as a suffering servant, who came to bridge the gap between where we are and where we could be in terms of our relationship with you. We ask that you would come as we sing this song and inspire us to serve you through our worship and to serve others through all that we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.